Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. She saw her again. The woman. This time she was across the street, atop her neighbor's roof, skeletal wings spread wide. The corpulent thing had her hands pressed against her pregnant belly, just like last time, cradling it as if the baby within had already been born. But it never would be. It was dead. She could tell by the shape pressing against the horrible woman's stomach. 
the child's emaciated form outlined in pale, distended flesh. And yet, she could see it move, squirming about in a spoiling, amniotic brew. Then screams. The demoness's belly swelled amongst the cacophony, as it did every time before, and a brood of small shadows began to writhe in her overstuffed womb. Then a smile. Perhaps the worst feature of the woman. It beamed like a black sun, its dour rays splashing across her, revealing her emptiness. Then, like always, she departed, drifting into the miasma of churning thunderheads above. Tara was no stranger to seeing bizarre things. For years, she used to see dog-sized spiders crawl across the ceiling of her bedroom. And later in life, she became host to a certain nine-foot-tall faceless man who had a penchant for late-night visits. She heard more strange things than she saw, though, some voice or another always buzzing in her ear. Regardless, the dead baby woman, as she had come to call her, seemed different than the rest. It was obvious why, given the hag's condition, but there was still an aspect to her that she couldn't quite put her finger on, an extant feature the others lacked. Tara broke from the dismal scene outside and went back into her home. She made her way upstairs and towards the bathroom, keeping her eyes straight to avoid the sight of the nursery. She previously didn't think hollowness had a feeling that its usage as a descriptor was simply a colorful substitute for its more somatic cousin, sadness. But whenever she looked into her baby's room, she could feel an emptiness, a pulsing void where a tiny heart once beat. In those moments, she was merely an abandoned house, the lights dead and only shadows to keep her company. A scream kicked at the back of her teeth as she passed the shunned room, begging to get out. Once she reached the bathroom, a lime-green monstrosity she promised to one day remodel, she opened the cabinet above the sink. A cache of orange bottles stood at the ready, dose-specific sentinels ready to protect Tara from the many terrors her mind so often conjured. She reached for the one in the middle, Zeprazidone, and opened it. Despite how tired the stuff made her, it would stop the hallucinations, at least long enough for her to do what she needed to do. She threw the small pill to the back of her throat and swallowed. Next, she pulled out the small travel bag living on the bottom shelf and began to stuff a small pharmacy into it, her chemical weapons against the world's cruelties. She zipped the small bag up and then moved into her bedroom place was a mess. Clothes were strewn around the room, thrown about as if they'd been caught in the nucleus of a tornado. Her dressers were still flipped over, their fabric and jewelry entrails scattered across the floor. A cold wind caused goosebumps to raise across her skin, chilly breaths summoned from the open mouths of her recently shattered windows. This was the locus of the storm, where she had received the phone call that changed everything. She tiptoed around the wreckage into her bed, where an open suitcase sat. It was sparse and haphazardly packed. Some crumpled-up shirts and jeans sat within it, 
a few days' worth at most. She tossed the small bag in with the rest of the luggage, compounding the chaos. As much as she tried to avoid it, she caught sight of the suitcase's diaper pockets lining the top. Tears threatened her eyes as she sat down to catch her breath. Julie had only been three months old when she passed. She was in the NICU for most of that time. The doctor said she had a congenital heart disease, a thing whose complex nature kept Tara from truly knowing her child's murderer. A few weeks ago, she got the call from the hospital. Her daughter had stopped breathing in the middle of the night. An emotional hurricane followed. When she reached the hospital, she was given her daughter and allowed time to say goodbye. But it was like cradling an empty shell, a still, warm husk abandoned by the spirit within. The funeral that followed a few days later was just as awful. She watched her daughter slowly lowered into the ground, alone with the dirt and the worms. She didn't know why, but all she could picture was her daughter withering, time taking her little body apart piece by piece, washing her features away until there was nothing but a featureless mannequin in a white dress. But death was a force, an unconscious exacting of nature that was hardly to blame for its own existence. Her family, on the other hand, was a different story. Tara couldn't help but harbor resentment towards them, perhaps even blame. During the initial stages of her pregnancy, they not so subtly suggested she get an abortion. They cited all sorts of reasons, the lack of a father figure, finances, resources. But she knew the real explanation. They were afraid Tara would pass on her condition, that all of the giant spiders, disembodied voices, and pregnant ghouls that took up residence in her head would find similar accommodations in her daughter's. She often pictured them sitting around the dinner table at her parents' house, whispering to each other about how Julie was lucky to have been spared such a life. The thought infuriated her, so much so that she barely spoken to her parents or sister since the funeral, afraid her worst impulses might get the best of her. Tara zipped up her suitcase, pulled up the handle, and wheeled it out of the ruined room. Like before, she hurried past the baby's room, making her way down the stairs. When she reached her van outside, she hefted the cumbersome thing into the back of the vehicle, where it sat awkwardly by itself, devoid of any travel companions. This was not a vacation, after all, but a response to a horrible wrong. With the car packed, there was only one thing left to do. Tara stepped back into the house and up the stairs and stared into the memory of her daughter's room. It was a living Polaroid, cut out of time and set to stand like a framed photograph. Letter blocks sat piled on the floor like tiny square mementos, and a mobile of colorful fish swam above the crib to the tiniest breeze. Meanwhile, mermaids oversaw the room, swimming around it within their ocean wallpaper borders, the backdrop to which was an aquatic wonderland of dolphins, whales, and giant seashells. The only thing missing was the cooing of her child, She remembered often wondering how such an atonal sound could seem so melodic, so pleasant to her ears. 
Perhaps it was a kind of music only a mother could hear, a serenade not unlike those tendered by the sirens rounding the wall. But she couldn't focus on those things now. The memories would only cause her to stumble, to fall into a weeping mess. She needed to stay headstrong for her child, for what was to come, if anything at all. Tara walked into the marine-themed room and towards the edge of the crib. What she saw below was nothing less than a shriveled nightmare, her daughter, dead. After arguing with herself for the past week, she had finally decided to dig her up just last night. It hadn't been that long since the funeral, yet death had stolen almost all of her child's humanity. What used to be Julie was receding back into her bones, becoming merely a skeletal remark upon her once vital presence. This was the horror of death, Tara thought. The reason we buried our loved ones so far beneath the ground, or burned them to ash. The ceremony of it all was but a veiled shunning, the denial of a harsh and singular truth that our perceived specialness was illusory, and that in the end, we are only neatly scaffolded meat. The revelation was almost enough to make Tara regret what she'd done, but then she remembered the strange things she'd heard about Orphan, a small town located in the wooded outskirts of Dover. After placing her daughter in a cooler filled with ice packs, Tara put her in the back of the car. She got in the van and began to drive. Over the next few hours, the world passed by her in a blur, its coherence a flash of colors and faintly discernible shapes. That's what the world often seemed like to her. A myriad of discordant things. She was often unable to tell which of them were real and which were not. She hoped this trip wouldn't end up being the latter, just another mirage stringing her along. About to switch lanes, Tara checked her rearview mirror. There was the dead baby woman again, her wings outspread, soaring above the traffic. A wave of excitement flowed through Tara. She must be getting close, she thought. It was a 15-hour trip and she'd been on the road for at least 12. Her mind, her real one, was waking up again. It was like living with the undead in her skull, a resurrecting menace that every so often had to be put back down. She didn't like the poison she had to swallow to do it, but she needed these moments clear, cogent. She had to know that what she experienced, what she was going to experience, was real. The road to Orphan was a scenic one. After getting off the highway some 90 miles back, the world shed its metropolitan skin for a more rustic one. Tara followed a series of winding back roads that snaked through a lush and verdant countryside. Vibrant greens, yellows, and oranges replacing the dull industrial palette of the city. The country roads were practically empty, her only company the crowds of elms and blackthorns on each side the trees forking arms chopping the setting sun into bright fragments of amber light. 
A farmhouse or barn occasionally punctuated the thickets, many on their way to abandonment, most little more than wood-rotted and baked in the sun like the vulture-picked bones of dead animals. Still, there were occupied residences, however sparse, shy things often tucked behind the tangles of trees, their bodies shaded and withheld beneath a ceiling of branching canopy. But for the most part, these areas had been reclaimed by nature, her unending body invading abandoned shacks, old tractors, dilapidated farms, mankind's attempts to domesticate its mother. As the dusk bled across the countryside, shadows spiderwebbed across the rushing pavement. The growing forestry was beginning to unnerve her. The closer she got to Orphan, the more the trees became denuded of their emerald tresses, their bodies becoming withered and rheumatoid, branches like flailing, mangled hands. Giant hornbeams and gnarled oaks now dominated the roadside coppice, their scoliotic bodies lending to the growing menace of the increasingly disfigured woods. Once in a while, her lights would catch the eyes of some skulking creature on the side of the road, copper orbs that bobbed like ball lightning through the brush. One pair remained still, suspended and glowing in the dark. As the headlights fell upon their owner, they revealed a naked woman sitting with her back against a tree. Her skin was moonlight pale, almost luminescent in the stare of the van's high beams. Black hair hung from her scalp in ratty clumps, reminding Tara of wet strings of algae she had so often seen dangling from her sister's seawall. The woman seemed older, perhaps in her sixties, her flesh wrinkled and dangling from her bones like wet towels draped over a clothesline. But most peculiar was the child latched to her pendulous breast, feeding from it like an infant despite being at least four or five years of age. The small boy, like the porcelain hag, was bereft of clothing, his skin white as marble, his eyes two shimmering coins fighting the night. Both were filthy, bruises of dirt smattered across them as if they'd climbed up from a muddy hole. They stared as Tara drove by, soon disappearing into the oblivion chasing the car. Tara remained calm. She'd been through this before. It was no coincidence such a vision would show up only hours after she was supposed to take her next dose of medication. The darkness didn't help. It was a trigger for her disorders, a Rorschach for her mind to make into monsters. She reached for her purse and dug out her spare bottle of meds. With a learned dexterity, she popped the cap and tossed a blue and white capsule into her mouth. Pausing, she swallowed. After several miles of nothing but narrow road in an ever-encroaching woodland, Tara's high beams revealed a large sign on the side of the road. Welcome to Orphan. The thing was worn and old, hints of stubborn graffiti accompanying the sign's letters in the soft moonlight. It wasn't long before the mangle of forestry dwindled, revealing a humble assortment of small houses. Thatch-roofed colonials lined the road, tumble-down things that reminded her of an old Dutch village she once seen. Many of the homes seemed ancient, their paneling weathered, their forms bent crooked and slumped by the weight of age and disrepair. There was a certain loneliness to them, as if they weren't just a few yards from their neighbors, but instead deserted on some barren plane of existence, millions of miles from anywhere. The lampposts gave everything an amber aura, muting what few colors tried to stand out, turning the town into an age-yellowed photograph. An agoraphobic spirit held sway over the place. All the windows shuttered, properties gated off, streets devoid of life. As if she had just driven into some vaulted community detached from the wider world, its municipal nourishment gone, 
the umbilical long severed. Following the main road, Tara entered what seemed to be the heart of the hamlet. Quaint little shops lined the cobblestone sidewalks, their glass storefronts displaying assorted wares ranging from musical equipment to discount furniture. A few bars punctuated the row of mom-and-pop shops, providing a watering hole for the wayward traveler or thirsty shopper. A stone church loomed over it all, casting its judgment upon all who fell beneath its watching shadow. Tara was quick to escape it, adding pressure to the gas pedal as she continued down the street. Farther up the road, across the street from a lone greasy spoon and a sputtering lamppost, stood a small inn. The place looked to be a renovated farmhouse, repurposed as a poor man's bed and breakfast. She couldn't make out much of the building, but she noticed some flickering light in one of the downstairs windows, most likely the effulgence of a candle, or perhaps a lamp. Of chief importance, a little neon sign attached to the front door flashed, Vacancy. Tara slowed down and pulled into the driveway. Stretching her legs, the air felt like the hot breath of a lover, that close, almost wet kind of heat that settles over the land after a scorching day. The disharmonious chitter of crickets that scored the night was a welcome departure from the monotonous hum of the engine, which still drummed somewhere in the back of her mind. The susurrus of crunching gravel joined the cacophony as she rounded the front of the house and climbed some stairs to an unvarnished wraparound porch. Entering through the front door, she was met with a dim interior, cast in a warm maroon by the red hurricane lamp standing in the corner. The walls wore an assortment of cheap Ansel Adams knockoffs, breaststroke mountains setting suns and placid lakes looking out from their framed homes. In front of her stretched an L-shaped oak counter that jutted out from the wall, its length spotted with brown knots and scratches. Perhaps the only thing more weathered than the counter was the stoic woman stationed behind it, glaring at her from behind a pair of much-too-thick glasses. The curmudgeon tapped her fingers, remaining silent. You have a room available? Tara asked. That's what the sign says. The haggard lady answered, her voice raspy from years of smoking, or drinking, or both. I'll take it, Tara replied, returning the woman's terseness. Tara dug into her purse and pulled out a credit card, placed it down on the desk. The innkeeper frowned. Cash only. Tara returned the grimace, huffing her discontent. She plunged her hand back into her purse and pulled out some cash, then looked at the crone expectantly. Seventy-five dollars a night, the innkeeper said. Tara slapped down the wad of cash, which was at least three hundred dollars. However long this gets me. The woman's face became like a crinkled up piece of paper, her features bunching into a single scrutinizing gaze. She thumbed through the money with the speed and shrewdness of a bank teller before stuffing the cash somewhere below the counter. Wearing a sardonic grin, the woman gestured to her left, where a pair of dark oak stairs waited. Second floor, last room to your left. Just gonna get my stuff, Tara said, not that the crone cared. When Tara returned, she had her suitcase in one hand and the cooler tucked under her other arm. 
The cantankerous woman eyed the cooler and then Tara, the little beads narrowing to slits. She wondered if the old woman suspected anything. After all, the rumors about the town had probably attracted more than a few mourning parents, all of them willing to do anything to see their child again. Tara ignored the woman's glares and climbed the stairs. She could feel her eyes drilling a hole in her back, watching her until she turned the corner and started down the second floor hallway. When Tara entered her room, she dropped her suitcase on the floor and placed the cooler by the full-sized bed. Despite the coldness of her host, the room was surprisingly homey. Paintings of flowers and farmhouses adorned the walls, and the lights on the ceiling fan bled a warm amber that reminded her of dusk. The smell of cedar permeated the little room, providing an aromatic backdrop that put her at ease. It was at this observation that something dawned on her. The cooler no longer smelled. Granted, her daughter's body was on ice, but she could still smell it during the car ride, at least until she entered Orphan. At the time, she thought she had just gotten used to the scent, but now she couldn't detect a whiff of it. She drew close to the icebox, threatening to open it, but she stopped herself. She hadn't the mental fortitude to see her daughter again so soon, to see her in the throes of decay, her beautiful face withered and sunk. Instead, Tara unpacked her bag and put on her pajamas, then laid down on the floral patterned bedspread, exhausted. It didn't take long for her to fall asleep, the long drive, and no doubt the meds, helping her cross to the other side of waking. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 